When it comes to your education, there's no need to settle. Get the interactive and purposeful education that you and employers demand from Colorado State University Global Campus. You'll get personalized, career-driven learning created and taught by today's industry leaders. CSU Global was built to help students succeed with affordability, flexibility, and individualized support. It's time to expect better. Find your path to the career you want at csuglobal.edu. Where online education isn't another thing we do, it's all we do. Welcome. Thanks for joining me for another episode of Business and Legal Week in Review. This is episode 158, and today is July 20th, 2015. As always, my co-host Bob Hughes is with me. How are you doing today, Bob? Almost always, anyway. <laughs> See? I'm here in, in body camp time today. <laughs> Excellent. And this is going to be a killer show. <laughs> <laughs> so... So, uh, no, it, let, it, so we're off. <laughs> yeah, let's uh, let's recap a little bit before we get going um, about last week. Because last week we had a really good week as far as as shows went. Um, my favorite show last week was um, with Deathwish Coffee, Mike Brown from Deathwish Coffee, and it was just one of those interviews that we we do where. Yeah, I totally wanted to get something out of it, and and that's how we you know proceed with all of our interviews. We want people to really learn, and so we'll go in and we'll ask questions that can help people, whether they're going to be looking at at perfecting their business life, their personal life, you know, personal development, or whatever it might be. And I'll have those that that kind of idea that that's what we're going to go in. We're going to try to 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 elicit from these people so we can learn from them. Well, I did the same thing with Mike. But man, he had like hidden gems all over the place. I don't even think he knew how important what he was saying was to entrepreneurs. And oh, really? Oh, yeah. It was. It was really, really. Uh, it was really good. Really well done. The guy is one of these down-to-earth guys. He is not a highfalutin anything. He is just a, a you know the average guy. He was an accountant in New York. And in New York State, hated it, right? Who who doesn't? And for all those accountants out there who <laughs> like it, sorry, but uh, and he decided he was going to open up a coffee shop in Saratoga Springs. Have you ever been up there, Bob? Saratoga? I I have not. I am, I am a New York virgin. I've not been there until this fall coming. All right, nice. Um, yeah, you're going to the city, and we're going to deal with that. But yeah. uh, Saratoga <laughs> upstate. And one thing about Saratoga is that it's it's a racetrack town. So in the summer, oh. it's really oh, busy. Oh, yeah. Yep. And in the in the winter, it's dead. And then there's this one area. I'm going to just warn everybody. Okay. There's this one area of Saratoga, Saratoga Springs. That's why they call it this, where there's a park. It's very beautiful. And they have these springs, these springs that you can drink out of. Right now, they're like oh, out yeah. of water fountains. But mm -hmm. they're natural mineral springs. So they have no taste at all like water. It's kind of like drinking sulfuric acid in wet form. Oh, my God. <laughs> and that's one of the couple kinds of health benefits. But I remember when my wife and I, we first went up there with my parents years ago, before we were even married, my mother thought it would be funny to have her drink out of the fountain <laughs> without telling her that it was filled with this sulfur-like water. <laughs> 
I don't think that's good idea. I forgave it. Yeah. (laughs) But anyway, anyway, I digress. Um, So he's up in Saratoga Springs and he opens up this coffee shop. And, you know, obviously in the winter, things slow down. And out of sort of desperation, he says, he created Death Wish Coffee, which is a super duper success. It is one of the best coffees, if not the best coffee that I've ever had. And super high quality, organic, done well. And he's you know now grown his business into a very booming, very well-known uh, brand. And the things that he was talking about were just so, so great. I mean, he talked about things like, hard work, but in a way that made a ton of sense. And it was like, wow, oh, this is what he did. And and how to treat your employees. And so just filled with um, with a lot of really, really super information. So check that out over either on, on the podcast or on YouTube if you haven't done so already, because uh, it really was. I was just so surprised. I even said to him, I said, you know, I don't know if you know how much valuable information you've provided today. It's just really good. So <laughs> one of those, you know, one, one of those moments like where things just go super, super great. So great. So that was uh, that was last week, and um, we'll talk a little bit about this week, which is also going to be exciting. But before I do, I just want to thank mm-hmm. today's sponsor. Now, today's show is sponsored by the Tech Blog Writer Podcast and Neil Hughes. Now, for those of you who are on LinkedIn, you might know Neil Hughes. You might even be affiliated with him or a friend of of him. He is one of the most popular blog writers on LinkedIn. He has over a million article views and thousands of shares from 50,000 readers a month on LinkedIn. So he sort of has mastered LinkedIn. And he just started a brand new podcast called the Tech Blog Writer Podcast, which is available over on iTunes. And uh, episode one, his introduction, which was released on July 10th, is available. So I encourage you to check that out. Uh, One of the things that that he says at the beginning of the intro for his podcast, he's not trying to sell you anything. He's not trying to promote anything. He just wants to give you valuable information and insight into writing uh, on LinkedIn and other places. And he he interviews uh, famous bloggers. He has discussions with people that have been successful. So check that out. That is the Tech Blog Writer Podcast by Neil Hughes over on iTunes. No affiliation or relationship to Bob Hughes. Not um, a word of him. No. Neil is from the UK. Bob is from the USA. Um, but check yeah. that out. I want to thank Neil for sponsoring today's show. Uh, I listened to the first episode. I will be a subscriber. I like it a lot. The Tech Blog Writer Podcast. Well, right, that so a uh, final we... reference? Uh, well, I don't know. You know would, you, would you believe? Would you believe you've never seen it? Would you believe oh. that? Ever? You need to make that's that's one of the lines. We're from the UK. You must be in the USA. <laughs> never seen. It. I mean, I know about it and the cultural references, but I'm it, right over my head. The sad thing is, is there's so much truth to it. I've been lost under a stage before. <laughs> Backstage, you end up walking around a circuit right back to where you started. How the heck did you get to stage? <laughs> yeah, like so that. anyway. <laughs> National Lampoon's European vacation where they keep going around the circle. Oh, absolutely. Like, <laughs> Big Ben, <laughs> Parliament. Parliament. <laughs> <laughs> You got it. Yeah, traffic circles in the U.S., welcome. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> so before we get going and get into uh, into to this week's stories, I just want to say that upcoming on Wednesday for our uh, On a Different Note show, we've got the Willis Clan, which is going to be super exciting because um, our, our maiden voyage, our first show, was two weeks ago for On a Different Note. Unfortunately, you were filling in, so you couldn't uh, make that show, but we had Nate Maingard right. on, and he was really kind of inspiring, very, very interesting, and uh, that show went pretty well. We did a, uh, a replay of it last week just to get people reintroduced to this idea, and then this week we've got the Willis Clan. They are super popular. Uh, some of you might know them from America's Got Talent. They were, they're a family. And they're singer-songwriters, producers, um, really, really talented people. They're all super good-looking, and they all have talent, which is, just blows my mind. Because some of us would just be like to be like semi-good-looking. We're semi-talented. Semi, but, uh, yeah, I'm not asking for everything. Right, just a little. So um, they're going to be on Wednesday, and we're going to be talking to them about you know, their experiences in the music business, the music industry, and how they've maintained this relationship as a family and developed into a very popular group. They now have a, a show on TLC uh, called, I think it's called The Willis Clan, and their music is very country folksy with some underpinnings of Irish or Gaelic music. So it's an interesting, interesting sound but really well done, and they are a really, really nice family. So we're very excited to have them on Wednesday. So we have a lot to look forward to this week. Absolutely. No, and that's fun. That, that whole, the whole new show is, is going to be a lot of fun as it builds and, and starts to snowball into just, you know, not only the, the, uh, the opportunity for these people to tell their story and, and talk about what they've experienced in the music industry and in the entertainment industry as a whole, and for people that are either trying to get into it or people that are fans of theirs to kind of get a little of the info, the backstory, plus hear some music from them as well. Yeah. And, and, you know, and if you're not into the music industry per se, the lessons that you can learn just on, on the business end of what they're doing yeah. are invaluable. We learned that from Nate Maingard, you know, two weeks ago when he was talking about oh, yeah. true to his own beliefs. Here's a guy that would turn down money from, um, you know, a, a major entity because he wants to stay true to his beliefs. So there's so much that we can learn. So I'm, yeah, it's going to be a great show. And I think you're right, Bob, as it builds and develops, it's going to be really, really something that everybody should, um, should tune into. But for our first two shows, we have some pretty, you know, big name people. I'm, I'm very excited. And we're going to get a lot of people from all walks of the industry. That's the fun thing. You get some people that have just starting out, you know, you've got a group like the Willis clan and people that have been there and done that. So that's exciting. So yeah, for me, anyways, being in the music as I am. So yep. anyway, um, looking forward to it. Uh, let's look forward to the week that was um, probably the I'm, uh, sans the uh, Chattanooga, Tennessee situation. Um, one of the bigger stories in the week was the verdict coming down in the James Holmes case. James Holmes, of course, the individual out in Aurora, Colorado, that decided to go into the movie theater and shoot the place up. Well, he's found guilty of murder in that shooting. Now, the question is, is will or will he not face the death penalty for killing 12 people inside an Aurora, Colorado movie theater? That's the next question jurors will be asked after finding Holmes guilty. Thursday, a first-degree murder in the July 2012 shooting. Holmes faced two counts of first-degree murder in each of the 12 victims. The jury found him guilty on 24 counts. 
um, all, all 24 counts. Holmes, who had pleaded not guilty by reason of insanity, showed no reaction as the verdict against him was announced. He stood at the defense table with his attorney, his hands in his pockets. He faced a total of 165 charges. Uh, the jury also found Holmes guilty of attempted murder on all of the 140 counts against him for the 70 people wounded in the shooting. Additionally, he was found guilty of one count of possession or control of an explosive or incendiary device. The verdict was reached in almost 12 hours, not a lot of time. The jury began deliberations on Wednesday morning in the sentencing phase, which will expect to last about one month, slated to begin next Wednesday. The same jury will deliberate during that phase in 2013. The prosecution signaled that it would seek the death penalty. By virtue of its insanity plea, though, the now 27-year-old Holmes had never denied he was behind the killings. But given his mental state, his lawyers argued that he should not be found culpable. Prosecutors who knew more than 200 witnesses, or excuse me, who called more than 200 witnesses to the stand, among them investigators, students who knew Holmes and <clears throat> his ex-girlfriend, careful who you upset, insisted that the shooter knew well that he, what he was doing when he did it. He acted deliberately to deliver pain, and his mental issues shouldn't excuse him from paying the price, they argued. Having bought a ticket 12 days before the show, Holmes, on July 19th, walked into the theater screening The Dark Knight Rises and like like anybody else, actually. But unfortunately, he walked out through a rear door, which he had left propped open. So he set it up. He knew what he was doing. And that's why they're going for it. So um, insanity is the biggest thing here, Peter. I mean, obviously, he's going to get found guilty. I don't think there was a doubt in anyone's mind. Um, is, is, is this insanity plea going to work? Is he, You know, he wasn't... You know, he, he tried to plead not guilty by reason of insanity, but he's found guilty, period. So does the right. insanity plea really play into the sentencing side of this? Well, you know, I think the insanity plea could have an effect on, you know, a decision whether or not to put somebody to death because of the ongoing debate over, I think, the death penalty in general. And I think, I think this, I think, first of all, you know, you've got those people that will argue that the death penalty is actually less punitive than life in jail without parole. So sure. there's an end, you know, there you, you, you die and it's over and your pain, your punishment ends. So there's, there's that argument. There's the argument that um, the death penalty and it's litigation that arises out of it does just doesn't make financial sense. There's all the discussions about, um, it's sort of traversing the lines of cruel and unusual punishment, especially when we saw some of the um, the lethal injection executions sure. where people weren't dying the right way. So there's such a whole, you know, a host of issues that arise out of the death penalty. And I think that you might have a harder time with somebody with an insanity plea because what if you're wrong? Because that's another, that's, that's another edge here. How many people have been put to death accidentally? They were, you know, convicted of a crime and they actually didn't commit it. And even if it's only a small percentage of people, you know, 1%, 2%, there are still innocent people who might have been killed. And that's, you know, a terrible travesty. So I think that the fact that he did plead insanity might have some benefit to him as far as, if you want to call it that, as far as, as the death penalty. Um, you know, I, I can consider myself, and this is where you know, I should probably keep my mouth shut, but I consider myself <laughs> a conservative for most 
points of view. However, there are a lot of things where I'm not as conservative as you would think. Gay rights, I'm not as conservative. And death penalty, you know, for me, I think I look morally and I say, who are we to judge whether somebody lives or dies? So I have a moral problem with it. And all of the other arguments too kind of play in where I think, you know, would I rather have somebody die or whether I'd rather have them in jail for the rest of their lives? And, and in my mind, I reason it like this. If somebody came into my house and they were, you know, kidnapping my kids or threatening my kids, I would kill them and I'd have no second thought about it because of the situation I was in. You, yeah, you have no doubt what was going on. Right. If I'm now sitting on, uh, you know, sitting in the, in the stands and I'm watching this killer who murdered somebody in my family, I think that although, and, I, and this is so hard to even say this because I'm not in that situation, but I think that although I would be angry and I'd want this person to suffer, I think that I'd have a hard time saying kill them because, you know, again, this is a year, two years after the initial incident. And I just think that for me, I'm not a big fan of the death penalty. I would rather see different prison sentences. Maybe, you know, um, what's his name? Aaron Rodriguez, right? The football player. Right, right. That guy's in that, that maximum super high security prison where you spend like 19 or 20 or even more hours per day in solitary confinement where you have no access to the outside and you have a one hour, you know, playtime, not really playtime, but you know what I mean, um, <laughs> where, you're, where you're outside and you can only see the sky. They have it walled off so you cannot see anything outside of that. I mean, that's a frightening scary ass thing and but i would rather to see, you it's frightening to you it's yeah. frightening but not but to everyone I, I would rather see though more of that because i just think that as a juror me deciding that somebody should die violates my my moral code i just couldn't do it which is why i've never ever practiced criminal law because i couldn't make that decision to represent somebody even though they are entitled to their legal rights if I thought or, or suspected that they might be guilty of something. So for me, I'm not a big fan of the death penalty, but, and that's where I say it kind of deviates from most conservative beliefs. And, you know, and, and that's, that's interesting they say that. And I'm pretty hardcore on it. I would probably be less, although I, I understand why you think the way you think, I sometimes lean more toward, and I shouldn't say sometimes, I lean more toward to the broken egg scenario in omelets, um, that you're going to break a couple eggs once in a while. And right. as, as unfortunate as that is, you know, and I'm not in the same world you're in either. I don't, I don't have to, I'm not in the law world. So it's easy for me to detract from it. Now, on the same token, I would be probably more sympathetic to the possibility of not invoking the actual death penalty if prison were just a little bit more ruthless and yeah. horrible. Because I just, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, James Holmes should never see the sky again. He gets enough room to stretch his legs out, lay down at night, and then do his personal business right down there. We'll be by with your meals in a hose once a week. Right. Um, and, and, and then, of course, now you get into cruel and unusual punishment 
but that is, you know, again, you get into subjective terms there, but I'm just, I'm, I'm very, very not sympathetic to individuals that break the law. And I'm not an angel, but I also know that if speeding, I, I always use a speeding ticket in a scenario. If speeding tickets were a thousand bucks, I wouldn't speed, but yeah. they're not. <laughs> and, and, and prison must not be that bad for those individuals who life, whose life outside of prison is that bad, that they don't mind going to prison. Well, I think that's that for me is probably the, the point that I think that I would stress is that I'd like to see a different prison structure because certainly I think that people who are convicted of minor crimes, they need to be dealt with appropriately. And I, I wouldn't you know, put somebody who's committed a minor crime in a maximum security prison. And so I right. do think that because you know what, at some level, the, the, the prison system does do more than just have a punitive effect. I mean, the idea behind it is is twofold. A, punitive, right, punishment for these people, and B, some some belief that there's a rehabilitatory nature to it. And I don't well, think that that's going to... Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> the delay is killing us. Go, you finish. <laughs> I know. Um, I don't think that somebody like, like James Holmes should be entitled to some rehabilitative program. I don't think you can rehabilitate somebody that's gone this far, but a kid who maybe has, you know, sold some marijuana illegally, maybe you can rehabilitate him and then set him straight. There are plenty of people who have done time who have come out and been really good people. They just made a mistake. Well, and that's where, you know, you start to look at, I used to work minimum in, uh, it was, I guess we'll call it a halfway house, if you will. They come out, it's, it's a reacclimation program. And, but it wasn't as good as I thought it probably should have been. And, and maybe that should be used more when you start talking about, you know, make the incarceration part of a living hell. I'm all for it. Maybe shorten it up. You get busted for marijuana possession, you go in the hole for six months or whatever, you know, and it is really that bad that you don't want to go back. Now, what do you do for the next year where you come out? Okay. Now let's get you set up to succeed instead of setting, because, because really that, the, the, in my opinion, from what I know and what I see and the prison population is not, or the prison experience as a whole is not set up to get that person out and become productive. It is, it's, it's a holding tank. It's, 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 a, it's, it's something to do. They don't come out necessarily with a skill. They don't come out. Sometimes they may come out with an education. But they don't have any. There, there's a. There's there's laws that that prohibit them from being hired sometimes, or at least allow them to be discriminated against. But if they come out and they go through the program and they say, okay, now let's get you in an education program. What do you want to do? Let's get you. Let's give you the footing and the base to be rehabilitated instead of wasting the money on just holding them and doing nothing but allowing them to play time one or two hours a day and enjoy whatever happens in the shower afterwards. You know, yeah. there's just there's just too much. Honestly, there's too much BS in the system and not enough direct correction, I think. But I I'm, I'm never going to I'm never going to get that across. I mean, I'm, when that comes to my views, I'm I'm kind of closer to Donald Trump. I'll just say it. Right. <laughs> you know what, though? <laughs> Poor Donald. I, I, I agree with that, though, because I think that if prison was a scarier place and a, you know, for for those people that, that can't be or at least in, in the most um, – objective way decided that they can't be rehabilitated 
Um, sure. I think that for those people that could be, if there was a better structure, I mean, look, we've all seen those movies. You've seen it more in, in real life with your, with your prior job, but we've all seen the movies where somebody gets out of jail and they're, you know, left out in front of the prison with their bag in their hand. All right, good luck to you. What happens next? And sure there's parole or there's, you know, follow up, but really how rehabilitative is that? What sort of plan? And, and that's where I think the taxpayer dollars should be because if they right. really truly look at the prison system as rehabilitative for those people who, who fit into a particular category, then perhaps that rehabilitative spending might prevent reoccurrences and, and more taxpayer spending on sending somebody else a repeat offender back to jail. No, you're, you're, you're right. It, it, should be a, it should be a system that is preventative and reconstructive, and it's neither. Yeah, that's true. It is. It, it is really neither. is neither. Yeah, yep. So, um, and unless you're crazy, you might get a nice, uh, or at least can be found crazy. You might be able to find a nice place where you can go hang out for the rest of your life. And that's probably what this guy's going to do. Pony up next to um, Mr. Um, um, Bernard Getz or uh, um, uh, who was the guy that shot Reagan. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Dang it. It was interesting too. Just for a second, Aaron Hernandez, <clears throat> I can't remember the prison that he's in. I'm going to try to find it real quick. Um, okay. Just can't remember where he is, but where he is is like the top facility for sticking people. Um, what's his name? The shoe bombers there. Um, the Oklahoma City bomber. Oh, he, his name? what's his name? <laughs> oh, uh, oh, I can see his face. I know. Unibomb. Um, I can see both of them. Kaczynski, Ted Kaczynski's the Unabomber. Um, yeah, Richard, not Richard Marks. He's a, no, he's he just, a he just wears. He just. <laughs> he, minute, they're, they're they're all <laughs> MCI. Ah, oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Cedar, oh, oh, Oklahoma. Yeah, I'm thinking shoe bomber yep. for some reason. Um, no, they're shoot, at M MCI Cedar Junction. <laughs> okay. Massachusetts. So, uh, yeah. So. I mean, these people, the, the shoe bomber and Timothy McVeigh, they're still alive. So that's another thing with the death penalty. It takes sometimes years and years. People could live for 10, 15, 20 years on death row before there, you know, anything happens to them. So I don't know. My, my feeling is that more time and effort needs to be spent into sort of restructuring and redefining the prison system to make it something that is punitive where if you can't be rehabilitated and we know this because of the heinous nature of your crime um you know uh what what's manson for example you know sure, this is sure. a non-rehabilitative person we've we've analyzed and decided as a society uh from a medical standpoint that this guy is is nuts and can't be let out ever again so then it, it should be punitive and those people that might have a chance because they've made a mistake, whether it's something like, you know, an assault charge or a domestic violence charge or drug possession, but they, it was truly something that they got themselves into and it wasn't, they're not criminals by nature or they're not right. so without remorse or feeling they're not a, a mass murderer. They're not going to eat somebody's face off. Those people, 
they should be more in a rehabilitative program, but that needs to be a restructuring all the way around, I think. Yeah, and, it, it, and unfortunately, it's going to take a lot. And it's whether or not somebody actually wants to do it. And yeah. now you start to look at the, the, what is the business of prison, but that's a bigger discussion. Oh, rolling right along. <laughs> we got off on a little tangent there. Um, well, like I say, we'll, see, we'll see if his um, insanity defense spares his life or not in a, in a future update. Um, also, a future or an update, at least for us, we talked about certain situations that happened. Well, a groundbreaking new Tennessee law makes it legal for good Samaritans to break into hot cars and rescue dogs trapped inside. We've talked, out of, talked about a, a few stories in the past about um, people being arrested for busting windows out to save dogs or um, hopefully not children. But uh, it's, it's a common sight. And what's worse is that people can be fined or charged for trying to help. But now a groundbreaking new law that has been passed in Tennessee makes it acceptable for good Samaritans to break into random cars in order to rescue dogs that have been locked inside. The law is an extension of the state's existing Good Samaritan law that allows people to break into cars to save children, and it came into effect on July 1. However, there are specific steps that must be followed in order for, for it to be considered legal. Now, the Nashville Fire Department Chief Mike Franklin told WKRN that if you act reasonably, as any reasonable person would respond, you will not be at fault to save a life. You, you will not be at fault to save the life of a human or an animal. A Tennessee State Representative David Hawks said the idea for the bill came about after he heard of the story of a dog that died in between a passerby calling police and the cops actually getting to the car. It's good for folks to know that they have this ability to take action should a possible tragic event happen, Hawk told the Johnson City Press. According to the Humane Society, the temperature in a car could reach up to 120 degrees on an 85-degree day. The new bill has been welcomed by animal advocacy groups, of course, which now hope more states will adopt similar laws. Aside from Tennessee, 16 other states have laws on prohibiting unattended animals in vehicles. However, House Bill 537 is thought to be the first kind, first of its kind in the U.S. Great study. It makes, it makes sense. It's kind of um, um, short-sighted not to consider it. You know, it's, 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 it's if, if Congress could just do uh, Congresses, whether it's at the state level or at the national level, could just do ma- sensible things like this all the time, we probably wouldn't hate them so much. <laughs> okay, so here's my issue with it. Okay, oh, I would, you have an issue with the law? I have an issue with it. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, yeah, go ahead, dog killer. Here's my here's my issue. With it. <laughs> I don't want somebody thinking that my dog is in distress if I have the dog in the car with the window open and I'm, you know, five minutes and and I know as a responsible head owner that this is okay. I don't want some do-gooder coming by two seconds after I've left my vehicle with a crowbar smashing my window to save the dog. Now, I think that that's this sort of the Good Samaritan law, it, it needs to be clearly defined. And here's how the statute reads. Okay, first, you have to determine that the vehicle is locked and there's no reasonable method for the animal to exit the vehicle. That's the point of putting him in the damn car. I don't want my dog roaming around the parking lot. Okay? Number two, you have to have a good faith belief that forcible entry into the vehicle is necessary because the minor or animal is in imminent danger of suffering harm, if not immediately removed from the vehicle, and based upon the circumstances known to that person on the time, the belief is a reasonable one. You have to understand 
that while I love animals and I love animal rights, there are a select group of people in any sort of walk of life, in any club, in any uh, area, whether you're a pipe smoker, whether you're a cigar smoker, an animal activist, crafts, you like to do crafts, there are always those people that take it to the extreme. So <laughs> if you don't educate people, and this is my problem with the law in general, people are not educated enough about the law to understand what their rights, <clears throat> excuse me, and obligations are. So a good faith basis that the dog is in imminent danger. Imminent danger needs to be defined for people. They're not going to take this statute and read it. So if my dog is sitting there panting in the in the car and I'm gone for three minutes and somebody comes by and says, look at this, he's panting, he's in imminent harm, let's get the crowbar. Now I've got a busted window. My dog wasn't in danger. I, I think it's different with a kid. And, and this statute applies to kids and animals. But, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm worried about this. Let me just go on because you also have to have contacted local law enforcement agency, the fire department, or a 911 operator prior to forcibly entering the vehicle. And you have to place a notice on the vehicle's windshield with the person's contact information, the reason the entry was made, the location of the minor or animal, and the fact that the authorities have been notified. So just wait, let's play this out. I'm walking by a car. I see a dog. I'm going to first check all the doors, and they're all locked, and now the car alarm starts going off. So now the dog branded <laughs> in the car. The guys are the coming car. anyway. <laughs> right. So you got all these people looking at you, and now you're going to call the police. And you hear the sirens in the background of the, the car. There's a dog. He's in the car. He's hot. I'm going to break the window. Now you've got the police on the other line saying, oh, crap, what do we do? Because they don't know enough about this statue. Bring, so now the guy bring was. Bring me a piece of paper and a sharpie right. as well. <laughs> He, he has his crowbar, and he's going to bust open the window with the car alarm going off. But some other good Samaritan says, oh, look at this guy. He's breaking and entering. He's breaking into this car to steal it. So they pull out their gun and shoot him. And the dog's still in the car. <laughs> and the dog's still in the car. <laughs> guy rolls up, shoots the dog, too. Um, so it, it, it's got good intent. But my problem with the, any law, nobody <laughs> learns about it. The devil's in the details. <laughs> well, you know, when you think when you think imminent harm, it might mean something to you that's different than what my definition might be of imminent harm. And you know, while no law is perfect, and and we write these laws in this manner to sort of give ourselves some leeway, because imminent harm becomes an issue that is factual in nature so it would be a, a question for a jury was was this person's actions reasonable was it you know did they follow first the way that this would be analyzed is first you'd look and see did this person who broke the window because let's assume that it's you and your dog's in the car and somebody breaks your window and now you're pissed because your dog was okay they've taken the dog <laughs> you get them back everything's fine but you got a broken window so you sue this person what you would have to, to do first is, and this is a civil case, you'd have to show that this person acted unreasonably. If they didn't comply with one of these terms, if they didn't leave you the note, you know, high, cruel, animal owner, 
I have busted your window open, called the police, and taken your dog. You know, if they didn't do one of these things, you would have a civil remedy against them. And I, just, yeah. <laughs> so you know, sometimes hey man, you, have, you, have you have successfully lawyered this thing up. Way to go! You hate this law now, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, I still think the law is good. But you brought—I mean, you brought—you brought up some great points. Um. However, the one thing I think is that capitalism should reign heavily here. Now we need to figure out a market and a product to make that will alert passers-by to the fact that I know my dog's in there. I know it could be hot, but I've equipped him with him or her with some form of, uh, uh, well, they make transmitters device. already. Well, well, a color-sensitive sensitive, uh <laughs> Collars. Um, if the collar is red, it's okay to break my glass. If it's anything else than red, then no. You know what? That's a now you got idea. now you got a color now you got a colorblind guy. What are you gonna do? Can't you determine a, the difference between red and green. You put a thermometer in the car. I'm not that hot. I'm getting hotter. I'm melting. <laughs> or we or joke, you, or you, but we're serious. Yeah. Yeah. Or you create the voice box. You know that that can interpret a dog's barks. I am very it's hot. Like an Was it up? Squirrel. <laughs> Dog. Uh, um, but there, there, but there, there are there actually are products out there that you can put on your dog that if it gets too hot, they'll send you a text message. Believe it or not. Right. You know what though? Um, and, and you know what it comes down to? Mm -hmm. uh, it comes down to this: so, be a responsible pet owner. Be a responsible parent. True. You know, yeah. have common sense. If you had common sense, none of this would have to happen. Well, and, and there's a bit of bit of um, of um, selfishness involved, and, and that's there's one reason. There's one reason we don't get a dog as a family. It's because we have two kids, and it's not that we don't love our children, but we know that we have to do everything for them, pretty much. And we have to. We don't want a third. If we want a third, we'll make one. But a dog, when yeah, at 18, the kids leave. The dog doesn't. Right. Eventually it will die. But for the most part, you've got another child until that dog decides to do something else with its life, um, it, which isn't going to happen. He's going to stay at home. He's probably going to lay on a couch all day and eat all your food. Um, not going to make any money. Not going to help you with the groceries. Not, he, nothing. He is going to be a freeloader. He's going to you know, leave his crap laying around everywhere. Um, <laughs> but it, it puts you right to a, to a degree. It's people, they take their dogs with them everywhere. I can't leave them at home. Well, yeah, you can't. You know that Kroger doesn't allow the dog in there, so don't take him to Kroger. Yeah. You know, it, 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 and so there's a, there's a lot of – it, it does come down to responsibility and, 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 and lack of selflessness um, that where these situations arise. But yeah. so, so, so capitalism has to take over here and build a better mousetrap. Yeah. You know, I, I agree with you. We, we recently, within the last month, we purchased a dog. And it was after a lot of, uh, of discussion. I've got three boys, and we talked about it. We had a dog once before that we had to give uh, to another family because we, we weren't equipped at the time to kind of deal with a baby at the time and then the dog. But now it's different because now we all knew what we were getting ourselves into, and we, we bought this, this dog. And, it, you know, she's a puppy, and it's like having a baby. It's You've got to... Treat this this puppy like a baby, and um, if you're not ready for it, you know you shouldn't do it because then you are going to be 
angry, upset. If the dog goes to the bathroom in your kitchen or on the floor, you're going to be, you know, mean. And that's where I think you have problems because I think most people that are dog owners, they love their dogs so much that they're not going to endanger them. I think it's the ones that get frustrated with them or just selfish or maybe shouldn't have had a dog. But it's the same way with kids too, because there are a lot of parents out there who don't treat their kids right. And you just look at them and you say, you shouldn't have had kids. (laughs) You know, I mean, being a parent or being a dog owner, it's not something you have to do. It's something you should want to do, not something that you do simply because that's what everybody expects you to do. If you don't want one, don't have one. That's my feeling. Really? Now we've got this law that's going to just create trouble, I, I think. Although I'm always a, a, you know, sort of a, a pessimist with these things. I look at it and say, you know, what's going to happen when the first person <laughs> breaks into my you know, car while I'm in, we're in Tennessee or whatever? You're preparing your first brief. Don't kid anybody. <laughs> well, that's my case. No, but you bring you bring up some <laughs> you bring up some great points, and uh, you know maybe it will uh, they'll uh, get things ironed out so that it makes sense. Yep. So that that that's the hope. Anyway, um, rolling right along. Cleared of a wife's murder. Cap sues the sheriff. Well, it took six years for Albuquerque police officer Levi Chavez to clear himself of charges of murdering his wife. And now he's suing the sheriff's office and the officer who investigated him, which we'll talk about in a bit. Chavez found his estranged wife, Tara, dead of a gunshot wound in the living room of their home in 2007. The case made national news when Officer Chavez's sexual history became known, including affairs with fellow police officers, and that he spent the night before, with, uh, spent the night before his wife was killed with his current girlfriend. The coroner initially called it a suicide because of the proximity of Chavez's police-issued Glock pistol to the body, but Chavez was charged with first-degree murder and tampering with evidence. In his July 15 federal lawsuit, which was just filed, he claims the Valencia County Sheriff's Department and Detective Aaron Jones used lies, intimidation, and extortion of witnesses to build the case against him. Despite the evidence of suicide, Chavez claims Jones tirelessly engaged in his witch hunt for a corrupt police officer in controversion of all of the evidence. Among other things, he claims that Jones corrupted the process of the medical investigator's investigation and findings, corrupted the process of the insurance fraud investigator's investigation and findings, and fabricated evidence that he had just bought a life insurance policy on his wife. Even after the sheriff's office declared publicly that it was dropping the investigation, Jones continued to lie to the press, according to the claim and to the medical examiner and to insurance investigators. The day after a jury acquitted him, the Associated Press reported that Chavez acknowledged he had ignored 176 calls from his wife the day before he found her dead. He seeks, I smell a civil suit right there. He seeks punitive damages for defamation, torturous interference, and constitutional violations. Can he really sue the cops for investigating him on this? If he can prove that this is some form of malicious prosecution or that they were so grossly negligent, because remember, the police, they've got that immunity, that qualified immunity that protects them from regular negligence. So like you or I, we could be civilly liable for negligence as long as you you can prove those elements of negligence. But in order to sue a police officer or municipality, you're going to have to show that you can kind of pierce that that veil of qualified immunity by showing that they were so grossly negligent. Now, if he can prove that they did do all of these things, like coercing witnesses, 
They looked at evidence and they ignored it because they wanted to move forward with their agenda of finding him guilty. He might have a, a case that is going to go up to a point where it would probably reach settlement. You know, settlement. you have to remember that most of these police departments or um, municipal entities, they are generally either self-insured or they're part of a joint insurance fund where you pay into this insurance policy and you've got maybe multiple districts or municipalities that are also part of the same insurance fund. And so when you sue the entity, most of the time, their insurance coverage is going to trigger. So you're not at that point dealing with the sheriff himself. You're dealing with the insurance company representing the municipality. And if the insurance company believes it's in their best interest to settle this case pre-trial because the cost and the unknown, the uncertainty of trial is too much of a gamble, then they're going to settle. And there's a good chance that as long as he can prove what he says, what he alleges here, they might say, well, you know what, we, we should settle. Um, I used to defend these types of cases and the insurance companies that I worked for rarely were interested in settling. It was just the nature of this one particular carrier and they would want to push things to trial and they would file motions all the way up to trial uh, to try to knock these claims out. And oftentimes we were successful just because of the nature of the action. You know, we had one where a prisoner was um, beat up in, in, in jail and then they, he claims that they didn't allow him proper medical attention. Um, but when we looked at the totality of the circumstances, there was immunity afforded to the officer in the prison and it didn't rise to any sort of gross negligence level. You don't, you don't know where this is going to play out because we don't know enough about the facts, only what he alleges. Sure. If he can prove it, yeah, he might have uh, some money coming his way. If he can't prove it, the case gets thrown out. Now, is he any, does he bear any kind of responsibility? If you ignore 176 calls from your wife on a particular day and then she shoots herself, is there any degree of culpability there? <laughs> I don't know how he managed that many calls. Because my That's wife calls me two. Calls. It is a lot of calls. She'll call me twice, and then the calls start to increase in frequency. And just out of like a, a level of self-preservation, I'm like, all right, I'm just going to answer it. Because I can't take it anymore. <laughs> no, no, it's actually a good question that, that you raise because – you know, is there an argument where maybe her family could say wrongful death sure. because you were sure. cruel, you were mean, uh, you didn't, you know, deal with her properly and you ignored her calls? Uh, yeah. I would say no. And you picked up one call. Sure. I would say no because you're going to have to be able to prove why she committed suicide. Oh. You're going to have to be able to prove that um, her suicidal tendency was not the result of some uh, sort of uh, medical or psychological issue, which I think arguably most people that commit suicide, there is something psychologically that triggers it. Um, I mean, we're not talking about somebody who has stage four lung cancer and, and wants to die. We're talking about somebody who's mad because of their, you know, their husband, uh, you know, 
I don't because uh, I'm calling you all day. You want to answer the phone? <laughs> yeah. Well, here's here's a lesson for every husband: pick up the phone. You're gonna save yourself a lot of trouble. Or 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 don't. <laughs> Act responsibly. Just saying. Just if you're gonna be married, pick up the phone. Otherwise, don't get married. Just like you shouldn't have a don't dog. Right. Have a <laughs> There's a degree of responsibility you have to have. Answer the phone. <laughs> My wife called while we were talking. Just ten minutes ago, she called. <laughs> <laughs> I saw the phone ring. I'm like, really? You don't know what I do every Monday morning? Well, apparently I'm not that important. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what it comes down to. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I didn't answer the phone. Hopefully she'll be just fine. Um, teacher saying a district denied her due process. We've now, we've heard of this before, um, but this one's a little bit different. A former teacher claims in a lawsuit that she was falsely charged with six felonies and coerced into resigning her tenured position under threat of being jailed. In a complaint filed in the Syracuse, New York Federal Court, Julie Cornwell claims the Hancock Central School District and its superintendent, Terry Doherty, made false accusations and charges against her relating to her family's eligibility to reduce fee school lunches. My first thought is, I have a teacher that qualifies for a reduced lunch? That's a bigger conversation. She said Doherty then interjected and asserted himself into the criminal prosecution, ultimately convincing the Delaware County District Attorney's Office to force plaintiff to to resign her position in order to have all criminal charges against her dismissed. Cornwell alleges Doherty engaged in these activities while also preventing the teachers union from negotiating for her at a disciplinary hearing. In doing so, Defendant Doherty bypassed the contractual legal process for termination of a tenured teacher after years of harassing plaintiff, a longtime tenured employee, the complaint reads. Cornwall alleges that the superintendent has systematically and repeatedly acted in a threatening and unprofessional manner towards her dating back to 2004. She says Doherty used his authority to prevent her from obtaining coaching positions and an athletic director position for which she had applied. Defendants instead retained either younger personnel and or male teachers for these positions, the lawsuit states. Cornwell also says Doherty never bothered to verify her school lunch program applications and instead concluded without a hearing and without due process that her family did not qualify for the reduced fee lunches when, in fact, they did. She accuses Doherty, a former tight end for the Syracuse University football team, of using his physically intimidating stature to intimidate her, according to the complaint. Cornwell has since reapplied for her job, but the district has refused to respond to her application, the lawsuit says. She seeks $1 million in compensatory damages and unspecified punitive damages on claims of torturous interference with her contractual rights, wrongful termination, and age and gender discrimination. This seems um, like it, it, it never ceases to amaze me the stupidity of certain administration officials when it comes to things like this. I mean, you've got yeah. a, a teacher that, or an employee that, if if all is true, never even considered whether or not um, she she needed the assistance, and then it just it snowballed and got out of control. But um, I mean, what, 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 what's 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 the crux of this whole situation? Where where's the linchpin on this thing? What happened? Well, what, what I don't understand is the, um, and I couldn't find enough information about it the six felonies that she claims that she was falsely charged with. Right. Right. Because my my feeling is this. If you're charged with a felony, I don't care what ultimately happens. I can understand the school's position of forcing you to resign or firing you if you've committed a felony. Mm-hmm. Because Correct. you're educating kids. And so the, the duty of the administration is or should be 
<clears throat> to protect the children. So if a felony conviction has happened, then I, I understand that. Now she's saying she was falsely charged. Well, school's not going to charge you with a, with a felony. It's the police that charge you. So what happened? Right. What are these convictions? What are these felonies? You know, what is it? What is it for? Did she do something outside of school that, you know, triggered this? Because if she did, then I'd say, well, I understand why. Now, I think, I think if you look at this just on its face with what we know, I don't know that she has a claim that would be successful because I would argue as a school district that I didn't discriminate against her. I didn't do anything wrong. She was a, 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 a she had been charged with felonies and therefore we didn't want her here. And, and that's that. But if, if it's what she says where she was falsely charged and she didn't get an opportunity to explain to the school, look, I wasn't really a felon. Here's what happened. They had the wrong person. They had the wrong social security number. It was a mistake. Well, maybe she didn't get her due process, but as an, you know, as an employee, depending upon whether your contract union at will, you know, that that's going to determine whether or not the school has to keep you. The other factors that she talks about, and I think you were right, you hit it on the head when you said that that's another discussion. If you have an employee that can't afford lunch, that's a problem with the school, with what they pay the teachers. And I do yeah. think that teachers in general are underpaid and the good ones, they struggle. You know, I helped a couple teachers over the past couple of years um, who love what they do and, and they're really good teachers. And I know that because of the positive feedback that a lot of family members had, had, had given to these people. But so many of them were near bankruptcy because they couldn't afford to live on thirty-five dollars or $40,000 a year when they're in their 50s and 60s. So sure. I think that there is definitely something to be said about underpaying educators. And I, I think that that's why we end up getting um, a lot of bad teachers, teachers that aren't qualified, teachers that don't really know how to deal with the children, teachers that, you know, uh, decide they're going to sleep with a 16-year-old because we're not paying them what they deserve. And that's just, you know, my feeling on it. I think that if you want to have a superior educational system, you need to bring in the best people so that you can make our children the best that they can be, not bring in bottom of the barrel that can accept $30,000, 30000 a year. And, and the other side of the coin on that is, there's always going to be a bad apple that's going to be spoil, spoiling the bunch. However, it is so difficult to get rid of said apple that it ends up giving a black eye to everyone involved. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? Very not, easy to be with a broad scope. Yeah. And not to, not to at all take the side of the school districts all the time because they are not angels at all. You know, you have a yeah, lot of people that, yeah, they, they don't understand what they're doing. And they'll fire somebody because of something that they believe to be accurate when it, in fact, is not. And it is illegal. I've seen that plenty of times where you've got somebody in the administration that, for spite or um, just because they don't know the law, they'll get rid of somebody. And they do so illegally or inappropriately. So it, it's there, too. 
you know, the one thing that, that I'm going to focus on today, because it's kind of like the underlying theme here, I think the important point that we should take away from these discussions today about the news is, is having some understanding, an understanding of your rights and obligations of the law, an understanding of your rights, duties, obligations as a parent, husband, dog owner, you know, educator. I think that if we took more responsibility as a society for our own actions, maybe we would be a better society. Oh, absolutely. I've um, seen a, a lot of schools are going to, they reduce costs through privatization of cafeterias, privatization of, of, of um, uh, maintenance staff and bus, bus drivers. Twice this weekend, as I dr- traveled, saw two school buses, both with signs on the school buses that they need school bus drivers. And my thought to that was, man, that used to be a pretty good job. I used to know a lot of people wanted to be a school bus driver. But as people don't maintain their lives and let their kids run the way the kids run, nobody wants to be a bus driver anymore. You couldn't pay me enough money to get on a bus with those animals. Yeah. (laughs) No, it's, it's true. You see the videos, and obviously the worst always makes for the best footage. Um, but to think that it's not like that, I, you know, you go on field trips. It's, I don't know with, with parents of kids on the bus, I've had to say things. I can't sit there and say nothing. Hey, sit down. The bus is in motion. The bus driver doesn't need to listen to you screaming at her. Relax. (laughs) So and you're right. A lot of it just boils back to personal responsibility. And when that starts to intersect with the law, problems arise. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what, though? Even you, even your example of the kids on the bus, I know kids will be kids. But I can tell you this. As, um, as many mistakes as my kids have made, there are certain things that we have told them that they are not permitted to do. And they have enough respect for us that they wouldn't. And acting up on a school bus is one of those things because you could be in an accident. I mean, you could die. And those are some serious consequences. So I just, I think that it again comes down to responsibility. You know, the same way that you you tell your kid, listen, this is how you cross the street. You don't just say to a kid, go ahead, go across the street. I think that we have to kind of think more about uh, the way that we educate our, our kids and the way that that we we teach them what they need to learn i think it's you now look you, you want to learn how to tie your shoes go get a youtube video there there's somebody there will teach you i think that there's a yeah. lot of hands off uh, lately with some of the younger generations that's happened because it's so easier to pawn the responsibilities off on somebody else no you're you're absolutely right that's you're exactly right Instead of taking the time to teach somebody, but uh, it's um, there, there's a lot of symptomatic. Or there's a lot of reasons for it. None of them are good, but there there are reasons for it. It's just uh, it's it's an interesting society we live in. <laughs> yeah, before we continue, though, I'm gonna here I'm going to interject some humorous story, okay? Because we need a little of that on Monday. I'm going to tell you about my my bus uh, ride when I was a freshman in high school. <laughs> All right. Okay. So I went to an all boys school. Uh, it was a private school and the bus ride was about 20, 25 minutes. 
and I'll never forget it, 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 it ever, ever. I had this driver. His name was James. James was insane. And I'm James, you know, usually it's the kids, like maybe the seniors that will sort of, um, you know, haze the, the freshmen. Well, the seniors were, James was like the ringleader and they were doing whatever James said. So the seniors would be in the back and the freshmen would be in the front. James was so crazy. The first day going to school, we were going down this, this hill and he must have been going like 10 to 15, 20 miles above the speed limit. He'd take his hands off the wheels and he'd scream, look, mom, no hands. And we drive and all the kids would be screaming. I, I, I think I might have soiled myself. I was so nervous. And then he'd do things like one time he brought a snake on the bus and he let a snake loose. And, you know, you get all these kids screaming. One time he let off a firecracker. And, you know, if you've ever heard a firecracker in a bus, my ears were ringing. I thought I was deaf. And, you know, yeah, I'd go home, right? And I'd say, um, you know, Mom, I was on the bus today, and, and the bus driver, James, he opened up the back door, and he urinated out the back door while we were parked because he had to go to the bathroom. And my mother would be like, yeah, that's nice. And I'd say, no, 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 but I mean it. Um, and today he brought a snake on the bus, and then he lit a firecracker. Oh, and he threw some kid's book bag out the window. You know, and the stories were so outlandish that I don't think anybody ever believed me. But... And I will be driving my children to school just because of that. <laughs> Scarred forever. Wow. <laughs> it's a so, true story. I don't, yeah. We, we, and we always have the, uh, the older, older ladies that tended to be our bus drivers. The guys that drove our bus, we, you didn't want them because they were just, they were just, just enforcers. They were totalitarianistic. You didn't, you didn't mess up on their bus. You knew better. <laughs> And uh, so it, we, uh, we weren't quite as liberal as the uh, right coast over the yonder. <laughs> I'll never forget James because he totally started me. Praxis. That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> so <carby> for life. <laughs> and to this day, <sighs> take taxi everywhere I go. <laughs> yeah. well, that's right. I, I told that story to my wife and, you know, I went through the whole thing with her. And so by the time I was done, she was so panicked. The last time that my kids had a field trip, she followed them in the car. <laughs> <laughs> so the kids are going to start wearing body cams. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh, we've talked about this a few times before. Um, well, this particular situation or what could result from it. An individual was fired for not looking up beat enough. Now, oh, a man with Bell's palsy sued a behavioral health center claiming it fired him because his medical condition would not or would prevent him from being upbeat and positive. Bell's palsy or idiopathic facial paralysis causes muscle weakness on one side of the face, which can droop similar to what would happen if you had a stroke. David Linares said he was hired as a clinical director for Gila Behavioral Health System or Gila, we're not sure exactly, without a face-to-face -face meeting. Seems like a, a good idea. Hire him over the internet. It's kind of like dating. When he met in with his defendant company owners, John Dunn or Dune and Patricia Dalen, he says they expressed their discomfort with his medical condition and the fact that they did not want him working with children, which is the population of GBHS, and that's what they serve. They claimed his medical condition would prevent him from looking upbeat and positive. 
He was indefinitely suspended after a week on the job and not even paid for that week, Lenari says. He sued the company and its owners in, in Donna Anna Court for unpaid wages and statutory and punitive damages for human rights violations, disability discrimination, conversion of unpaid wages and costs. Wow. If this is all true, can't get a poster child of a case like this every day. No, if it's all true, yeah. I mean, you know, it certainly is discriminatory and it certainly does sound like something that uh, you'd want to settle right away. But this this brings up another question, and this is a serious mm -hmm. question. Okay. Now, as an employer, I might want to have a certain um, sort of, of, of quality of my employees. When we talked to Lee Cockrell a few uh, weeks ago about his time as vice president of Walt Disney World Resort, there was mm -hmm. this underlying theme with hiring, and that was you wanted somebody that was going to provide guests with a positive experience, upbeat, happy, you know, joyful. So what do you do with somebody with bitchy resting face? Which, by the way, are you familiar with bitchy resting face, Bob? <laughs> okay. Bitchy resting face. Apparently, I'm yeah. just look, I'm on I'm on, on today.com, today news, right? Um, and there is a bitchy resting face, bitchy resting face. There's an article that talks about, um, the fact that bitchy resting face is a, this is a quote, definite phenomenon that plastic surgeons like myself, not me, but whoever I'm quoting from here, uh, has, have described just never with that term. Uh, basically many of us have features that we inherit and or develop with age that can make us look unpleasant, grumpy or even, yes, bitchy. So <laughs> this is something that was, uh, it came out a few years ago, and there was a fake PSA, um, this spoof that went into <laughs> to bitchy resting face. But people like okay. actress Anna Paquin, Anna Paquin has talked about her, her, her bitchy resting face, uh, BRF for short. So if you're going to discriminate against somebody because of the way that they look, uh, what do you do across the board with people that have bitchy resting face? Because you, you know what, you might not call it that, but you've seen those people out there that you look at them and they look angry all the time, but they're really not. It's just the way they look. You know, I think I get accused of that sometimes. But you know, I, I think this, right? And, and I'm being serious. I think if you are hiring for a job where you need a person to be a particular way. You need them to look a particular way because that's the experience that you're trying to provide to your clients or customers. Then I think, you know, you you don't have to hire somebody that doesn't have an upbeat, happy manner, so long as you're not discriminating against them, because that's the key to all of this. You don't have to hire everybody. You can only hire, you only have to hire the people that you want that you think will work with your organization. You just can't discriminate against them on the basis of a disability. I don't think that there's you know, a, a protected class of people with unhappy faces. So I think you're free we've to say, you know, we don't no, want to We've talked about this before. Yeah, I mean, you've got to, you, the biggest thing these people did was they didn't, they hired this guy without a face-to-face -face meeting. Yep. And we've talked about, you can, you can discriminate however you want to. Just, I mean, I hate to say it, don't get caught. 
don't right, do don't. something so stupid and inane yeah. that it is obvious what you're doing. Don't say it. Gosh, we, we, we're going to, we, we'd love to hire you, but man, we just don't like the way you look. Yeah. 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 What, what, what do you look? Just, you know what? We, we love everything about you except, oh, you're Hispanic. Okay. Yeah, what exactly. do you expect? What do you, you know. think's going to happen next, champ? <laughs> yeah. We're kind of looking at bringing to... more white people. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't hit. We haven't. We haven't hit our Caucasian quota yet this month. Um, we're at a hundred. We're looking for a hundred percent. The did I did I t- share with you the story about my 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 buddy's daughter? No. I don't. Is she I think it was the interesting face. I hate to say it. God love her. She is. Oh. Um, and a couple of their kids and their family, I never thought about this. And, and, and it happened, I was told the story July 4th weekend, which was the weekend before um, I took the week off. He, they were, <laughs> his, his, him and his brother's kids, a couple of them, if you look at them, they're very, one, they're very introverted, if you don't know them. Two, if you don't know them and you look at them, they just don't look happy. They have, I guess, bitchy resting face um and and they've had it their whole life they've afflicted it's a lifelong affliction the um and it's not that they never smile it's just how they are well they're walking the two of the four of them my my buddy and his wife and, the, and their two kids he has the 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 the, the kid with the the brf with him or with excuse me no she has i'm sorry she has that child with with her he's walking with the other one and he's in the front and they pass a, 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 a homeless person on the, st- on the street walking to Tiger Stadium to go America. This sounds, like, sounds like I'm waiting for the punchline. <laughs> there is a punchline coming. There really is. It takes a while to get there when I'm telling it, apparently. Um, but so they're walking, and, and, and him and his one daughter see the guy, and they continue walking. Well, he knows that his wife and other daughter are right behind him. And he hears the homeless person say, smile, kid. It ain't that bad. <laughs> <laughs> this kid can cure cancer with her face. This this kid is making a homeless man see the light. He's taking the, the money he has collected all day and giving it to her. Smile, kid. It ain't that bad. Trust me, I know. <laughs> true true story. I'm sitting here and it's exactly how it happened. I, I'm not making any part of that up. But th- um, this girl really does. She just has that. And, and her and her two cousins have that just look on their face like they're just not thrilled to be anywhere. Uh, <laughs> and not even the Tiger game. Oh, oh well, now, now you have a diagnosis for it. Now you can, you can I, I, to it. <laughs> I don't know if I would say anything to him or not. I don't want to break her heart. I don't want him to feel bad. Oh, by the way, I know your daughter has bitchy resting face. I found this out. He said, what? <laughs> oh, my God. Well, you know. <laughs> it was Anna Paquin. Anna Paquin told, uh, I believe it was Jimmy Fallon or Jimmy Kimmel. It was Jimmy Kimmel. That she had it, like okay. she admitted, I've got, I've got bitchy resting face. But the part <laughs> that I think is is even more hilarious than any of this is that the article that was on today.com, it, it's uh, it, it's talking uh, from the point of this um, plastic surgeon 
who is hoping to cash in on all of those people that have BRF. So I can make you look you? happy, make you look like the Joker. The Joker always smiles. <laughs> Capitalism, once again, taking a stand for the downtrodden. Whether you're a dog in a hot car or just someone that doesn't look that pleased. Somebody suffering from BRF. <laughs> <laughs> Never heard of it. Wow. And uh, I, I, new term. <laughs> I'll try it out on my wife tonight. We'll see how that goes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I just don't answer your calls. <laughs> exactly. exactly. I knew it was on the other end. Um, the, you know, we talk about being responsible for, for, for death and here and there, depending on how your role is. An Upper East Sider, talking about Manhattan, son has been sued for a grisly murder. He wasn't convicted. He was sued. Though a jury found him too mentally ill to be held criminally liable, the Upper East Side man who killed his philanthropist mother four years ago now faces a civil lawsuit for wrongful death. Barbara Wyden Schwartz, Fischler's eldest son, Jonathan Schwartz, stabbed her to death with a 13 and a quarter inch kitchen knife as she was lying down in the bedroom of her Upper East Side apartment on the night of July 2nd, 2011. Schwartz confessed to the, in the first 911 call that he made that night, but called 911 again and claimed that his mother could kill herself. Uh, I wonder how that went. Uh, I just called you, and I, I misspoke. <laughs> I, I didn't kill her. She killed herself. Uh, forget everything else. <laughs> Nothing to see here. These aren't the droids you're looking for. Um, news reports from the Times show. <laughs> Fischler's estate and the estate of now deceased youngest son claiming a July 14 complaint and that Schwartz then tried to stage the scene as a suicide by changing out his bloody pants and placing the knife in his mother's hand. When police arrived, however, Schwartz allegedly admitted what he had done in person and in writing. In a Manhattan judge deemed the schizophrenic Schwartz mentally unfit to stand trial at least three times before the case finally made it to a jury this past November. The estate says Schwartz conceded that he had murdered his mother at trial and that he knew that he was stabbing her at the time he committed the act and intended to stab her. On December 18th, the jury found Schwartz not criminally responsible by reason of mentally disease or defect. Guilty, just not liable. He is currently an inmate at the Mid-Hudson Psychiatric Hospital, which found that he had a dangerous mental disorder on March 17th of this year. Now, see, I found out that he had a dangerous mental disorder on July 2nd of 2011. I'm smarter than they are. The estates seek unspecified damages for wrongful death and a survival claim. Can you actually, I mean, this is, this is basically a family or an estate suing another family member for killing yeah. their mother. Yeah. I mean, is this. Well, you have to. Takes the Hatfields and McCoys to a whole new level. Well, here's, here's where I think it's interesting. Are they suing him because he is somehow going to inherit money or did inherit money? Because what would sure. this guy have? According to the New York Post, he killed his mom over a two pack a day smoking limit. Okay, so clearly, this is somebody. <laughs> who you would not think is sitting on a, a stack of cash. Um, All I can think of is Monty Python. Help, help, I'm being repressed. I'm being repressed. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, sorry. Yeah, we you know, were he, off the he, tracks today. Well, here he says, he says, here's a quote from him. I just went wild. It's a terrible incident. It should never have happened. So, <laughs> you know. to oops. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I don't I don't understand this beyond the fact that he has money somewhere because you're not going to go and sue somebody in a civil manner if they don't have money because that's what civil lawsuits are about for the most part. Yeah, you're not. This isn't seeking injunctive relief 
or anything of that nature. This is purely about money. So where does he have the money? And 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 why do they want to get it? So did his philanthropist mom, who you have to imagine had a ton, did she leave him money in the will? And are now they trying to sue to get that money? Because when you kill your mom, you probably shouldn't be entitled to the money that she left you. I don't know. Um, exclusionary, exclusionary cause in the will at that point. Yes, yes. Uh, you forfeit your shares under my will should you kill me and try to make it look like I did it myself. <laughs> yeah. uh, so it's interesting, I that, but I, yeah. it has to be it has to be about money. He's got to have money somewhere. So imagine sure. you know, sitting in the psych ward, sitting with a stack of cash at home, you know, that you can't use because you're crazy. I'm just wondering if you back on cash. two packs a day or not. Yeah, yeah, there must be. Yeah. They probably figure he can. Well, sadly, I mean, he, he that money can do some good, probably, because I don't know if Mid Mid Hudson Psychiatric Hospital is a taxpayer funded entity or not. But uh, maybe it's a maybe it's a uh, a uh, private facility. I don't know. Well, look, we'll lesson learned here: again. don't kill your mom. <laughs> At least don't admit to it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Go with, with your hunch. Yeah. Yeah. I now know. I, I, you go, yeah. <laughs> your first effort's always your best effort. The, um, or at least if you're, you're thinking about a psychiatric uh, plea, start with a 911 call with a suicide, then call back and say, I, or start, start, start by calling and telling you killed her, then call back, wait, did I say I killed her? No, oh, no, no, she killed herself. My bad. One of my bad. And you can still send the cops away. So I want to clear up any kind of responsibility here. I was so upset, you know. I didn't mean me. I meant her. I was, I, I was not in my right mind. <laughs> I mean, I I had just killed her. I mean, she had just killed herself, and I didn't know what I was saying. Listen, I have a <laughs> I have a known deficiency when it comes to pronouns. I just I, I it's a learning disorder. I'm not good with pronouns. Do <laughs> well in grammar. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Oh, what we have? We had what was it? What was the uh, gym we had a while ago to jump ship? Oh, real quick. Planet Fitness. Um, Planet Fitness. Yeah, they have they have their problems. Well, now Gold's Gym has their problems. Oh, Gold's Gym apparently hired a rapist. The second victim says he registered sex offender with multiple felony convictions, raped a teenager after Gold's Gym assigned him to be her trainer. She claims in court. JB, the, the uh, plaintiff, says she was 16 in February of 2013 when Gold's Gym in Las Vegas gave her a membership, though it knew she was a minor and could not enter a legal contract. She says it assigned James Coleman Booker to be her personal trainer, knowing he was a felon and convicted sex offender. Booker had had at least 16 prior convictions for crimes, including illegal sex with a minor, as if there's legal sex with a minor, Kidnapping, assault and battery, larceny, grand larceny, witness tampering, and illegal possession of a firearm, according to the lawsuit. Booker is on the Nevada Sex Offender Registry, which states he was convicted of third-degree rape in Oregon in 1991. JB says that after her first training session with Booker on February 22nd, that after that session, defendant Booker offered to give her a ride in his car took her to a dark hidden location where he raped her in his vehicle, JB says in the complaint. JB reported the assault the next day and Booker was arrested and charged with sexual assault and attempted sexual assault. He pleaded guilty to attempted sexual assault and was sentenced to 8 to 20 years. The Gold's Gym is at 4501 West Lake Mead Boulevard, in case you want to stop by, and is now named EOS Fitness. 
JB accuses First Alliance DBA Gold's Gym, EOS Fitness, and TRT Holdings of negligent hiring and retention and negligent supervision, and Booker of battery and intentional infliction of emotional distress. She seeks punitive damages and costs. Um, you know, it, it, it's interesting. We're talking about this earlier about the prison system and <laughs> not necessarily recidivism, but uh, the ability to reform. And here you go. Here you had an opportunity for someone that maybe if they had had a tougher time in prison and they didn't like it, maybe they would have come out and they would have had a, an opportunity to actually learn something. They wouldn't have fallen right back into the same crimes. I don't know. Maybe. I, I think that that's probably true <laughs> because, um, you know, if, if you, like we were talking about earlier, if you go to jail and you really hate it, you're probably not going to want to do it again. Um, <clears throat> this is and interesting if, because, right, you know, there's been a big push nationwide to allow people who had been to jail or felons or whatever, you know, to, to get a job. And, and so like New Jersey back in March enacted this law where you can no longer conduct the background check pre face-to-face -face interview or pre-interview with a candidate. So uh, it used to be that if, if you got a candidate in, you'd do a background check, and if the background check said something that you didn't like, you didn't have to meet with them. Now uh, the law changed so that you have to meet with them first because the, the theory is that you might get to know in an interview somebody who has a criminal past and is perfect and fits your organization, and then you do the background check, and then you see that they've got this, this potential issue, and you can make an informed decision versus just simply excluding them because of their mm -hmm. status. So that's interesting because there's this push to allow people that have had um, criminal histories to have jobs so as to rehabilitate them and bring them back into society. Here yeah, they, they you've make got- More difficult to, to discriminate against them, yeah. Yeah, here you've got claims of negligent hiring, negligent supervision, negligent retention. So. If this guy had not done anything, had not raped this girl that he was training, would there be a civil lawsuit? The answer would be no, because there'd be no damages simply because you hired somebody that had a criminal past. Um, mm. Here, they're alleging negligent hiring, retention, and supervision. I don't necessarily think that the negligent supervision claim is worth anything because this is something that he did outside of work. And so I don't think that they had a duty to supervise her. Nothing happened to this girl while she was in the gym. Well, and we don't, and we don't have the, we don't have the brief in front of us. Could they be referring to the fact that they didn't supervise to the fact that they let her enter into a contract or is that a totally different charge? No, I think that would be different. I think that a, a negligent okay. supervision would be if you have an, let, let's say you have a guy at a gym who you, um, you promote him as a trainer and he might not be qualified and you don't supervise his actions and he's instructing somebody how to do an exercise improperly and you end up getting hurt as a result of his negligence. You would have, I think, a claim against the uh, person that owns the gym or the company itself for negligent training or supervision because you didn't watch what this person was doing or help him instruct him right. So that makes sense. I think here, this case probably is going to hinge upon the negligent hiring um, and maybe negligent retention. 
but it's going to be interesting to see how they end up handling this because, yeah. you know, I mean, clearly this is a bad person. And uh, it's, you know, the, the thing is this, it comes down to the fact that I think that unfortunately sometimes mistakes happen and, you know, you ultimately pay the price for that. But, um, well, wouldn't, wouldn't that be a good, I'm, I'm, I'm interesting that you said that. Wouldn't that be an interesting principle to apply in a death sentence? What? Sometimes mistakes happen. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just asking a question. <laughs> I don't want to change your mind. <laughs> All right. Stay down on the calendar. I got him. <laughs> but in, 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 in all honesty, yeah, I mean, who 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 is who is aware of what and when were they aware that there was a problem with this guy? It's probably going to be the hinge that that makes this yeah. thing work or not. As far as this, sure, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. I think so. that's the scary thing. Well, and again, you know, you and you don't. The sad thing is, is you don't know going in there if you're you're just some Joe off the street. You got to trust the fact that 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 company has done its due diligence to make sure that their employees are safe and, like you had said in your example, know what they're doing when they're supervising you doing something, regardless of yeah. what it is. Yep. So Absolutely. there you go. <laughs> there you go. Um, this is, um, I'm going to jump forward a little bit to um, Walmart, 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 Walmart. Oh, well, was Walmart has its woes every week. It seems like we're just, we're going to do the Walmart corner. I think too bad. <laughs> too bad. It's not a Kmart. If we could do the blue light, the blue light special story yes, or something in Kmart. <laughs> Uh, because Walmart seems to just, uh, you know, they're a big company, like you have said before, they're going to be a target for everyone. Um, but wa gay Walmart workers are suing over benefit denials. Walmart illegally denied insurance to the spouses of gay employees, alleges a federal class action led by a Massachusetts woman whose wife has cancer. Walmart's discriminatory conduct was a conscious or purposeful effort to demean employees who were married to a person of the same sex. The complaint filed Tuesday states. New Bedford-based Jacqueline Cody says she has worked for Walmart continuously since 1999 in stores throughout Maine and Massachusetts. Diana Smithson, who Cody married in Provincetown in 2004, also used to work for Walmart, according to the complaint. Cody says Smithson left the store in 2008 to be the primary caregiver for Cody's mother, who was battling dementia and living with him at the time. Though Smithson used to have her own health care through, through Walmart. She lost that coverage when she resigned in 2008, according to the complaint. Cody says each time she tried to enroll her wife in her insurance plan, Walmart has turned her down. A Walmart representative allegedly informed Cody that the store did not offer coverage to same-sex spouses. Walmart once again refused to let Cody enroll Smithson for spousal benefits in 2012, but the couple thought they were finally in the clear when the U.S. Supreme Court struck down the DOMA uh, which is Defensive America Act is unconstitutional in 2003, according to the complaint. When a Walmart representative informed Cody that it had no intention of changing its discriminatory policy, Smithson remained uninsured, the complaint alleges. Cody says that the policy has cost her wife and her a minimum $150,000 of uninsured medical expenses from approximately 2012 to 2014. Walmart finally extended spousal health insurance benefits to the same-sex spouses of Walmart employees last year. Upon investigating Cody's case, the EOE, which uh, found that she was treated differently and denied benefits because of sex, or excuse me, because of her sex, <laughs> since such co coverage would be provided if she were a woman married to a man, according to the complaint, the EEOC finding included a 90-day right to sue under the Title VII of the Civil Rights Act. 
Can you tell? I mean, I'm sure you're quite versed in what Title Seven of it is. What is what's that's kind of the crux of this. So they have the right to sue under Title Seven. What is Title Seven, Peter? Well, Title Seven is going to be uh, equal opportunity um, sort of um, claim that they're making here that they're entitled to the same benefits that people who are married to um, you know heterosexual couples, and so that's. This this EEOC. Let me just explain how this works. So when you're going to file a federal lawsuit for discrimination, and you're going to be relying upon federal laws, so Title VII of the Civil Rights Act, uh, equal protection, um, you know, any sort of civil rights claim in the employment setting, oftentimes what you find that that you would have to do is you'd have to go through the EEOC, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, first. And you bring this matter to them as a, um, a first initial step. Now, this isn't when you're going to sue in your state for mm-hmm. a violation of your state's discriminatory laws. This is when you're going to, to go to a federal lawsuit. So the EEOC prerequisite, the EEOC staffs people that are going to investigate your allegations. And they're going to interview people at Walmart. They might make a couple phone calls. And then they're going to give a determination based upon their investigation. Oftentimes, they'll say, we've investigated and we don't find anything, and therefore, this matter is closed, and you might not be able to sue. Uh, Other times, they'll come back with a right to sue letter, and they'll say, you know, we've investigated, we can't find anything, but we're going to give you the right to sue. When they tell you that you can't sue for whatever reason, uh, very, very rare instances when that happens, Mm -hmm. They might try to mediate and try to resolve the issue, but in general, my experience with the EEOC has been less than stellar. The people that work there, (laughs) I'm generalizing, they're probably overworked, they're probably managing hundreds of cases at a time, and they oftentimes don't put in any of the right amount of effort into these cases. And it's much easier to say, we've investigated, we've made our few phone calls, we can't make a determination, therefore you can sue, and to hand out a right to sue letter. Um, to my, in my opinion, I don't really see the value at this point in the EEOC. I know that they have looked at certain companies and said, this is a pure violation, and therefore you're going to be obligated to pay this or that, and maybe they'll have a mediation and they'll issue an award or an arbitration issue an award so i've seen them do things like that but i'm not a super duper big believer in the eeoc you know a lot of people they get an attorney they make their complaint and all they're waiting for is their right to sue letter so oh it sounds like just a pat pat, passing the buck off to the court system just roll the dice and see how you do yeah yeah (laughs) this isn't for me this doesn't do it it's not like oh wow you know EEOC, they're really going to take charge of this. No, I mean, they're not. They're going to say, we've done our best. We've made our obligatory phone call, and we can't determine, so therefore go ahead and sue. Well, in the so EEOC, it sounds like, would make a, a blanket judgment across the company then. They would kind of, it would cover the class if there were one. Right, right. I, I think basically okay. the EEOC says here, um, listen, we, we can't make a determination, so now you can sue and see what the courts say. That's basically what it is. It's just a pass the buck thing. 
That's my feeling. Maybe some people will disagree, but I'm not big on it. (laughs) Some people might, but I'm not going (laughs) to. Oh, well, Walmart, there you go. You know, it, it, it seems like every week they have some kind of involvement in, and it's not even just it, it, whether it's, it, it's, it's, it's uh, uh, I guess we'll call it civil rights as a blanket, um, you know, whether it's, it's, it's gender bias or, um, uh, in this case, um, um, I guess, same-sex marriage bias. There's always something that they're doing or they're accused of doing, I should say. Um, and I guess that is that big company affliction though. When you have yep. that many employees, when you have that big of a diverse workplace, you're going to have, you're going to wear that target. And, and for, yeah. my, my biggest question is to, to, to that as, and you don't have to be a big company to be a target. You can be a small company and, and, and not necessarily everyone's going to get on you, but how does a company prevent themselves on the front end from even opening themselves up? Or is it just inevitable? I think it's inevitable. I think that um, as a cost of doing business in this world, I think that you will be sued. I think if you're in business long enough, you'll be sued. There's no way around it. It could be a little suit. It could be a big suit. It could be um, a labor law dispute. But I think that in our capitalist society, I think that if you're going to throw your hat into the ring, you are going to have to deal with the consequences and know that you're going to be sued. I, I would, I don't things, know. By employees or just in general? By, by employees or just in general? Just oh, in okay. general. I think the cost of doing business is is that. I think that, um, listen, at some point in your life as an employer, whether you're small, midsize, or large, you are going to have employees quit. You're going to have them uh, dispute things with you. They're going to file a labor law complaint. Maybe they'll go, I mean, this isn't even lawsuit level. Maybe they'll go and they'll complain. The larger the company, the more employees, the greater the risk that somebody's going to go to the EEOC and complain about you. Um, even companies that have somewhere around you know, 100 or 150 employees, I guarantee you that one of those people will file an EEOC complaint against you at some point or a state labor law claim. Um, it's just inevitable. So you really can do very little to stop that, but you can certainly make sure that you're in compliance with all of the laws and don't do something stupid like um, decide not to pay somebody what somebody else is being paid simply because they're married to a same-sex person. That That's just stupid. You know, the other thing too is this, that when you're looking at decisions as an employer, you know perhaps you've got somebody who I'll give you an example. This is a, this is somebody that that actually had this question. Um, you have a handbook and a vacation policy, and your vac- vacation policy basically says that you cannot take a vacation at the same time that somebody else in your same department is taking a vacation. Mm-hmm. So now you've got two department oh, yeah, people all out the time, yeah. all the time. And so it just so happened that somehow a supervisor missed the fact that both of these people were going to be taking vacation. They both put in for it at the same time. And uh, it was approved for one. It was temporarily or, or not temporarily, but um, preliminarily approved by the other until everybody sat down and realized, oh, no, we made a mistake. And now both of these people are on vacation at the same time. 
So the question was, because this one person knew that they couldn't go out at the same time as another supervisor and did it anyway and put in the application, do we have to pay her? And that question, while a good one, I think is something that we as employers struggle with all the time because now te technically you violated the handbook. But I, I argue this, she has the right amount of days in her vacation left. Um, it wasn't a clear cut, screw you, I'm going on vacation. There seems to be some confusion somewhere in the upper ranks. So to not pay that person, in my opinion, would be a bad decision. Because I think that at that point, you open up the door for a labor law complaint to be filed because, you know, listen, you were confused too. So you, that's, that's my opinion. So the point, the reason I'm telling you this is that when you're faced with a situation like this and you want to avoid a lawsuit, litigation of any sort, even administrative um, things like, like an EEOC investigation or a labor law dispute, just do what you think is the right thing to do and you think the right thing to do is to just pay them and then reprimand them and make sure that it never happens again but that that's you just have to be smart about it well i think i'm going to uh just i'm my kids i'm just going to hire them through a temp agency and <laughs> that way i can kind of insulate myself a little bit from if they have like a little labor movement or something because you only got to have what you know like 50 percent 51 percent to you know, get the union yeah. in. So it's just not worth it. They get another kid in here. They get two. It's gonna have a sixty-six percent real quick. I'm out. So yeah, that's why you should get a dog because they're not gonna do any work for you. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So <laughs> there you go, man. That's it. That's everything. <laughs> right. I think that's gonna do it. We ran a little, uh, little long today, but it was so long, yeah. worth it. So worth it. All right, so that's going to uh, that's going to do it for today. Just to keep in mind, tomorrow we are going to be uh, answering our legal question, and let me just pull that up for you. Let's see what tomorrow's question is. It is about this is a good one. It's about um, hiring a partner. So you're going to start a franchise, and you want to know whether or not it's worth bringing on a partner. So we're going to discuss that legal question tomorrow, legal business question tomorrow. Wednesday, Bob and I are back with the Willis clan for On a Different Note, which is super exciting. And then uh, Thursday, uh, we have another guest. And this is a guy who is the world record holder for bass fishing. He has caught the largest bass on record. It's this, it's huge. It's like, it's like the Loch Ness Monster. And um, <laughs> he created a product. He created a lure that has a sound quality to it that attracts fish. He was on Shark Tank. He made an investment. I, I want to say maybe Mark Cuban signed up with him. I'll have to just double check my facts on that one. But um, he was on Shark Tank and did well and, and has this, this company. And he is, he's a fisherman, and that's what he does. So he is sort of like, you know, your, your every man. And we're going to talk to him a little bit about his experience in business and how he was able to create a product. And, you know, at the time that he went on Shark Tank, he was packaging this stuff himself and ultimately oh, wow. yeah, struck a deal. And, and so we're going to talk to him about that. So that's what's coming up this week. And then uh, next week, we have another great week lined up. So there's just a lot of activity 
lately. And I just encourage everybody to check it out. Go to utlradio.com. Look at all of the upcoming shows. You can listen to some of these uh, these prior shows that we've done and you know, in, in, engage with us. There's a forum now on the site. There's an opportunity for you to discuss any of your business or legal issues or questions. Just throw them up there, and we'll, we'll get to them and, and discuss them on the show. Uh, also, just want to remind everybody, make sure you subscribe. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Subscribe to uh, the podcast on iTunes. That way you're going to get notified when new episodes and new broadcasts are up, and you can sort of follow along with us because we do uh, try to build on what we've done in prior weeks. And, and you know, it's, uh, I think, something that everyone can benefit from, whether you are a business owner or an entrepreneur thinking about starting something, just interested in your legal rights, your obligations, looking for some sort of personal development, any of those things, this is the show for you. So I want to thank everybody for tuning in, for subscribing, for all the positive feedback, um, for a lot of uh, the attention that's been received by some of our recent YouTube videos. I want to thank everybody for checking that out. And, um, and stick around as this station, I think, develops and gets better and better every month. I think we're doing better and better things and, and you know, just bring better content. Uh, the website update was a great thing. So that's all I've got. I want to thank everybody. Bob, you'll be back with me on Wednesday. Looking forward to the Willis clan, right? I will be here. Yep, that's going to be exciting. Looking forward to it immensely. All right, that's going to do it for today. Thanks uh, again, everybody. Make sure you tune in the rest of the week. We've got some great shows lined up. Remember that there's power in understanding the law. The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. Yeah. That's Hugo, tickling the ivories. He just saved by bundling home and auto with Progressive. Gonna finally buy a ring for that gal of yours, Hugo? Send her my condolences. Hi-oh! This next one's for you, too. There's a burglar in my heart. Thank you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations.